This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I'm Matt Addison with Theo Squires and Kai Delaney alongside me. Liverpool drew, of course, with Leeds United last night and we will come onto that very shortly. But before we begin, I'd like to point you in the direction of yesterday's bonus edition of the Blood Red podcast with myself, Ian Doyle, Paul Gorst and Joe Rimmer, where we delved into the European Super League, what it means and the wider implications for both Liverpool and FSG. And believe me, there was no holding back. Right now, though, we'll obviously touch on that. It's far too big of an issue to skirt around, but we will try and take a quick look at the game itself, a few individual performances and sort of how the top four race is shaping up. For Jurgen Klopp and his players, of course, that is what they have to focus on. So it would be wrong of us to completely ignore the actual action itself. Leo, I'll start with you. It was a slightly weird sort of experience watching the game last night. I'm sure that was the case for Liverpool fans listening to this podcast as well. What did you make of it? It's it, it's almost impossible to kind of analyse the performance and, and what it means, given the wider context. I was going to say, was yesterday a breakaway Blood Red podcast then? They get to talk about all the juicy stuff and we just get the football. Um, it, it was a strange game and it's one, to be honest, I don't really care about. It's funny how one thing over the weekend can change your perspective completely. Like only 48 hours ago, 72 hours ago, Liverpool were in a position where if they'd beaten Leeds United, they'd be in the top four and that would have been a great turnaround for them and we'd all be excited going the Champions Leagues within their grasp. And now it's just like, well, who cares? The broken football and the players, you could tell it was a bit of a weird one for them. Like, granted, it's nothing to do with them, all these controversial decisions and they got this really strange, harsh arrival at Ellen Road. But... It's almost as though the team talk's done there for Jurgen Klopp, isn't it? Like, he's basically said, no one wants you to win this game. Whatever the powers that be don't want Champions League, we do. Go out there and get the job done. And they did start really well. They were pressing eye. They had so many touches in the opposition box in the first half. I've sort of got this back onto football now, Matt. You can rest easy. (laughs) And they did create chances. And it was like almost, you could almost forget about it because I remember the Firmino chance, I think fairly early on, it's like, oh, that's the Bobby Firmino of old. He could just put it in first time and Liverpool one up and you don't need to think about it. But he takes a daft touch, miscontrols it. It's like, yeah, Liverpool's problems all season are still there. <laughs> but then Sadio Mane scores his goal. Uh, this first half droughts over. You think, oh, maybe Liverpool can still play and perform in these conditions, create chances. But in the second half, they, they fatigued for whatever reason from playing Real Madrid and they just seemed to lose concentration. They were making mistakes. The mistakes there in the first half, but it just got worse in the second half. Leeds got more and more confident and you could tell an equaliser was coming. Uh, Banford hits the bar and I don't think it was any surprise when Lorente hits in that late equaliser. But what should have been a bitter blow to Liverpool is sort of been... Like, undermined by the fact that, well, even if they qualify in Champions League, even if they make it top four, does it really matter now? Super League could change everything. And whilst it's a horribly unpopular decision, it just leaves a sour taste in the mouth. And you just go, who cares now? Just that, that's my reaction to it. You can't really focus on it. Yeah, exactly that. I mean, I, I thought Kai, it was a pretty good performance in the first half, slightly less so in the second. But to be honest, I'm sort of struggling to pick out other than one or two big moments. I, I'm struggling to remember large bits of 
of the game because the interest just maybe wasn't there like it normally is. And I suppose that must have been the same for Jurgen Klopp and for his players as well. They've obviously got a job to do, but the circumstances around it must have made that job incredibly difficult. Yeah, of course. I mean, you know, by all accounts, Jurgen Klopp and, and the players themselves only found out about all this just before or, or more or less at the same time that we all have. So, um, you know, for, for them to, to just concentrate, turn up and, and play a game as if nothing has ever happened would be extremely difficult. Um, by all accounts, Jurgen Klopp spent a lot of, uh, or certainly some of his part yesterday, preparing for, you know, facing the media and the questions that he was inevitably going to be asked about it. Um, it's, it's a really difficult one. I mean, for me, you know, as a, as a journalist and a fan, even watching the game, I spent a lot of the time kind of glued to my phone, you know, checking what was happening with the updates. There seemed to be more news breaking every kind of 20 minutes about different press conferences and different meetings and bans from the competition and all sorts of things going on. So I think for for them to turn up and play as if nothing's happened was, was going to be a real challenge. Um, at the time, towards the end of the game, and obviously we conceded that late goal, it kind of didn't really feel like too much of a, of a blow. If it was a few days earlier, I think that would have felt like a, a real hammer, uh, a real hammer blow towards our chances of qualification for the Champions League and obviously what impacts that would have again on next season. But it didn't really feel like that too much at the time. And then, you know, even there was a late chance for Oxley chamberlain at the end and I wasn't kind of on the edge of my seat, you know, desperate for him to score because it just didn't really feel like it mattered. And, I think that that's the real the real shame that you know it's only been a day or two since this has been announced and already you can see the impact it's having on on not only the, the team but the fans and the, the sport as a whole. Yeah, absolutely. I think most Liverpool or every Liverpool fan almost will echo those sentiments. I mean, I want to pick out a couple of players. Sadio Mane, you mentioned a little earlier on Theo, obviously got his goal. It was his first since Leipzig just over a month ago, his first in the Premier League since the end of January. Did you see any signs of improvement in him in terms of his general performance? Obviously, the goal makes it, it stand out that little bit more. Um, not particularly, to be honest. It was just the same old from Liverpool's front three. They looked at it disjointed, like the chances were there, half chances were there, and they weren't necessarily converting them. When you think back to 12 months, 18 months, Sadio Mane was the best player in this Liverpool team. He was winning them games virtually on his own. He was one of the big reasons why they won the Premier League title, popping up with crucial goals at crucial moments. But both him and Roberto Firmino now, there always seems to be an extra touch when they shouldn't. There's not that killer instinct now to put it in the back of the net. They're always overthinking it. And that was still prominent in Mane's game. He's not running at defenders and terrorising them the same way before we've seen him almost unpredictable because he has the talent to do whatever he wants with that ball, put it in whatever corner of the net or create whatever goal. And it was just one of those where maybe it can give him a confidence boost for the final few weeks of the season, but he's by so no means back to his best yet or anything. And you think, well, it was still an open goal and he still almost put it wide. He was very close to the post considering he's got the whole goal gape in there and he's down the centre. But it can be a promising sign. It can be a, a step in the right direction. Like he has played a lot worse than that in recent weeks. Like you think Real Madrid away, that was probably the worst we've seen him in a long, long time. You, you just hope it can give him a kick up the bum. But then a lot of that Liverpool team need a kick up the bum. And <laughs> at the moment, it probably doesn't really matter to him now anymore. Anyway, 
I think it was uh, an interesting decision, kind not to start with uh, with Mohamed Salah. Sorry, obviously he was on the bench, came off the bench. Obviously, it's lost in the fact that there was a lot of other things to be talking about pre-match yesterday. That would have been a much bigger story, I think, in normal circumstances. Why do you think Jurgen Klopp took him out of the team, given obviously there's pretty much a week between matches at this moment in time for the rest of of this season? Um, it has to be rotation. I, it's, it's nothing to do with, you know, like, like I say, there's no game coming up shortly. So I don't think it's a case of necessarily fresh legs for the next game, but more so fresh legs for, for the game last night, I think. Um, I think Mane and, and Firmino could probably consider themselves lucky to start, you know, certainly ahead of, of Salah, but Jota was well worth his, his place. And I think it's just... Just one of those that was, was maybe overlooked, as you say, with everything that was going on kind of away from the pitch, there was there was not as much made about it as, as there otherwise would have been. But I know Salah certainly, you know, the, the competitor he is and the kind of selfish streak that is as well talking about, you know, Kane scoring a cup against Everton and moving ahead of him in the golden boot. I don't, I don't think Salah would have been too happy to to not be starting and, and only getting kind of 20 minutes or so at the end. But um, yeah, I think it was probably just a case of, of fresh legs and, and given Jota the, the start that you know, his, his form has probably deserved. Well, if you look at the last few games, it has been just a case of taking it in turns to drop him, hasn't it? Like um, you had Firmino missing out against Real Madrid away, Mane against Villa, Jota against Real Madrid at home, Salah's turn to sit on the bench, and it might not be something that any of them like to do. Like Even Mane being subbed off, he looked pretty miserable, didn't he? Because considering he's ended his goal drought. But Liverpool have got four very good attacking options now. Um, granted, they're not all on form. But there are going to be occasions when some of them have to sit out and it's what Liverpool fans have been crying out for for so long to have that variety to the options. It might just be a side story now in months, all the chaos. But there are going to be games where Salah doesn't start. Um, it wasn't an issue in his first season at the club. I think Stoke City away, he came on when he had been bent surprisingly and he scored a wonderful goal volley, maybe a brace in that one. It's a few years ago now. But that's what you want from this Liverpool team. You want them to have the options and while it might look a bit different in one-off games, Jurgen Klopp will still have his sights set on finishing in the top tour, in top four and playing the long game to get Liverpool over the line. Yeah, certainly not a bad thing to have those squad options. Certainly at the other end of the pitch, though, Kai, there's not quite so many options. Obviously, Nat Phillips missed last night's match with another injury at centre-half for Liverpool. But Ozan Kabak was one that I wanted to, to pick out and have a quick conversation mm. about. I'm going to ask you both a, a similar sort of question, really, in terms of, what would you do as it stands heading into the summer with him? Obviously, Liverpool have that £18 million clause. What did you make of his performance last night, Kai? And was there sort of any more evidence one way or the other, do you think, from that performance that Liverpool could maybe use to, to make that transfer call? I think it's, it's hard to take anything away from the game last night in terms of making a decision. I think it was very kind of middle of the road and that that's what we've seen a lot of from Kabak since he's been here. He hasn't had any... You know, too many games where you'd say he's been really below par or, or kind of really, you know, really, really poor. But then in, in the same time, he's not got maybe anywhere near what Klopp and uh, Michael Edwards would have wanted him to reach when they signed him. He, he's been OK, he's been decent and he's he certainly plugged the gap that, that we had at the back there. But, you know, he's you he, he do feel for him. He's had lots of different centre-back partnerships and did kind of start to settle on one with Nat Phillips. Had those three games in a row until that injury to Phillips last night but um, if it was me for, for 18 million I, I think you'd probably struggle to get someone remarkably better than him um, 
certainly in in the market and you know someone of, of his age with with his experience in the top flight set certainly in the Bundesliga so for me it would be a case of signing Kabak um on a permanent and then still looking to get one more in you know possibly Canate or you know Paul Gorst has spoken about that five-man shortlist Liverpool have got in the, in the centre-backs for the summer so um me personally I'd go Kabak plus one it's just whether the club would be willing to do that or whether they maybe just see um Kabak as a short-term loan and decide they want to go big on someone like a Canate and, and can only get that one position at the back in the summer the blood red podcast from the Liverpool Echo we understand that at the moment the position of the club is that they would be looking to, to get one rather than more than one, Theo. If it is going to be just one, what's your view on, on Kabak? Is is £18 million for him fair or, or do you think Liverpool maybe could spend a little bit more and go for somebody different? Um, it's an interesting question by the fact that in a normal market, £18 million isn't that much on a player anymore and you expect Liverpool to have the funds to go out and spend more on whoever they want. But we all know the financial ramifications of uh, the coronavirus pandemic and why they've had to maybe lower their sights. It's why the fact they ended up with Kabak and Ben Davis on deadline day in the first place. Um, I was highly critical of Kabak in his first well, few weeks at the club. and He just wasn't looking up to scratch. And he's had mixed spells since then. He's had some games where he's been decent. and He's looked a really solid centre-half. But he's had others where he's looked clumsy. And he's made mistakes. And I think Leeds was more leaning towards that than a good show. It's reminded me of when, um, before Liverpool had Van Dijk, when you had good-ish centre-back options like Mamadou Saka, Dejan Lovren, uh, Martin Skirtle. And they look solid enough at what you had at the time. But then you've got a Rolls-Royce like Virgil van Dijk. And you compare him to that and it's just it's not the same. And it's one where he's still young, he's still 20. If you put him alongside a Virgil van Dijk, will he learn? Has he got the talent to get better, improve and become a proper talented centre-back? Um, and it's just one of those wait and see. Uh, if it is only one centre-back option and you're saying Joel Matip, Joe Gomez and Virgil van Dijk are all fully fit, firing and ready to go, I would be happy to have him as the fourth choice. But if you're saying that those well, those three players are going to take time to get back to their best. They might have a few more setbacks. I'd want to look for a more experienced option and then spend a bit more elsewhere because he doesn't give me that confidence yet as a starting centre-back for Liverpool in the long-term project. He could be in a few years' time. And it's one where, I, I've said before as well, I'd, I'd give up on Joel Matip at this time. I think his injury record has let Liverpool down far too many times. And it's one where if you could have Kabak as Matip's replacement and then you're signing someone else to be that first choice option, then that's something I'm more comfortable with. But then that is still a gamble in itself because as good as Virgil van Dijk is, we just don't know how well he's going to recover, how long it will take him to get back to his best. And we know Joe Gomez in the past has been slow at recovering. I think when he did his, uh, was it his knee the first time, we saw him back against Wolves in the FA Cup in January, February, but he wasn't really in that Liverpool first team until the following season so that was an extra like six months for him to really get back to a first team level and it's like well, what options are Liverpool going to have how much money are they going to have to go and strengthen the squad and if they're in the European Super League how many games are they actually going to be playing how many options are they going to need mm-hmm. um Kabak could do a job but there are better out there 
Yeah, I'm in total agreement with both of you. I think Kabak wouldn't be the worst idea, but I think you've probably got to go and get one more, which doesn't appear to be the case at Liverpool at this moment in time. But we will see. Plenty of things could change before then, of course, the European Super League being one of them, as Theo says. And it would be remiss of us not to talk about Jordan Henderson, Theo. I'll come back to you on this one. It's reported this afternoon, just before we went live for this podcast, that He's called a captain's meeting among the Premier League captains to discuss these proposals. All of the, the top six obviously want to, to break away. The reaction to that, I'm sure, will be pretty similar among all Premier League captains, whether they're part of this European Super League or not. But uh, first and foremost, Jordan Henderson being the man to do this, it doesn't come as a massive surprise, does it? No, Jordan Henderson, captain, leader, legend. He has written his name in Sir Liverpool folklore. Uh, many a times in recent years but what strikes you more is his leadership off the pitch he hasn't it's not the first time he's called a meeting between all the Premier League captains and he's led by example he is one of the great sporting role models in this country at the moment and it is brilliant to see him lead in this I, I was a bit skeptical at times when this was announced at what the players would want to do because if you're a footballer growing up you want to play on the biggest stage and if it's not the Premier League, it's the biggest stage. It's not Serie A, it's not La Liga, it's the Champions League. But if it's a Champions League without Real Madrid, Barcelona, Juventus, Liverpool, it's not the stage it once is. And you think, well, maybe the Super League is, and you know the wages are going to be huge there. So you think, well, maybe some players would be quite happy to play for that league. It's a chance to prove themselves against the very best, as their little tagline on their, their silly website says, best players, best teams. But the fact that there has been this protest from the players, like we saw James Milner speaking out against it last night. We've seen, I think, like Bruno Fernandes, Richarlison, uh, Daniel Podence, they've been against it as well on social media. This is what we want to see because the fans can be as disgusted as they want. Media can be as disgusted as they want. It won't make any difference. The only ones that can really make a difference here are the players. A manager can be sacked, but these um, owners, they can't replace a full squad of players. If Liverpool went ahead with this European Super League and the whole squad put in a transfer request and said, no, we're not playing in this. They would have no choice but to back down. And it's just, well, this is what Henderson's going to be doing, isn't he? He's not going to be saying, like, right, we're getting our transfer request in, but you know he's going to be against it. The fact that James Milner was so vocal saying he doesn't want it to happen. And, you know, Henderson's the same breed. He will be having that same message. He will be reassuring the other Premier League captains that Liverpool players are not on board on this. We know the management aren't on board with this and they'll be seeing what can they do, what are the steps they can take next. And you just hope that they can have the impact because football without the fans, as we found, is nothing. But it can still go on. It can still take place. Like the European Super League could happen and take place without fans, without support from anywhere. But you take away the best players from that and it falls apart. I think, Kai, the big thing that stands out to me is that the players clearly don't like this. They clearly haven't been told anything about this. But as Theo says, this cannot happen if the players do revolt. I think this could be a big moment, really, across all of the events of the last sort of 24 hours plus. This really is right up there amongst the, the biggest of those. Yeah, of course it is. I'm growing by the hour, I think, in confidence that, that this won't happen. And I'm starting to lean that way. I think when when it all came out and you, you saw people stepping down from their roles at UEFA and um, you know clubs leaving the ECA, it seemed as if, okay, this is actually happening. Um, but then over the last 12 hours since the game last night as well, you've had 
Klopp was kind of really the first manager to stand up on, on TV and say, no, I'm, I'm not for this, I'm not a fan. We've then got James Milner, who, you know, he's 35 years old and he, he doesn't, it doesn't really impact him. You think he could be retired in, in two to three years. He may only play a season at most, even in this competition. So for him, it doesn't have to be a concern. It's something that is more for the younger generation and the, the players coming through that it will affect. So for for James Milner, that's 35, and Henderson, that's going to be 31 this summer, both kind of approaching the, the latter stages of their career, certainly in Milner's case, um, it's something that they, they've kind of gone out of their way to actively go against and for, for um, Henderson to call a meeting with all the other Premier League captains obviously we saw him do the a similar thing with the NHS um, in the midst of the Covid pandemic but I think if if there is going to be any player or any captain in the league that you'd expect this from it would be Jordan Henderson and I think the same with, with Klopp last night they're both you know really against this really vocal about it and I think I think it's great to see um, you know Klopp and Henderson and, and Liverpool. Even though the owners are one of the real big advocates for it, it's great to see that Henderson and that the captain and the manager of the club are, are two of the ones kind of leading the uh, retaliation against it. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's been shameful from FSG over the last few days and, well, seemingly the last few months as they've started to plan this. But the true values of Liverpool, it almost makes me feel quite proud, actually, that it's it's Jordan Henderson leading this as much as you're ashamed of, of Liverpool for their role in, in sort of creating this. It it really does feel like a big moment for, for Jordan Henderson to step up and, and hopefully be the one that can tip the balance back the other way. It sort of feels, though, Theo, like we should talk about Jurgen Klopp now. Obviously, he was put in front of the cameras last night. He was one of the first managers to be asked about this. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer had been asked about it the day before, but he didn't really know too much about it. It was far too soon at that point. For Jurgen Klopp, it was a really difficult position for him to be put in. He had to sort of talk about something that he clearly didn't agree with, but he couldn't really say anything against the people who'd made this decision either. What did you make of, of him both before and after the match? And did you think he, he got his comments right in the end? Um, I think he went as far against it as he could um, without breaching his contract. Like He can't come out and abuse FSG or anything like that because it calls his, his owners, his bosses, into disrepute. But he was pretty strong against this whole plan, and we knew he would be because he's not the sort to U-turn. Like you said two years ago, that he'd be against it, and who wants to see Liverpool Real Madrid uh, 10 times a season or 10 years in a row, whatever it was. And it was a good message for him to be the first person to really come out and address it. Like Solskjaer was caught on his toes a little bit. There hadn't been much time after the announcement. It was only, what, in the morning? Whereas Klopp's had the whole day to think about what he's going to say. He knows he's going to be asked about it. He knows he's going to be in front of the sky cameras and the pressure's on and everyone is going to be watching. And he answered it as best he could. Uh, he's proven time and time again that he's not shy when it's the big occasions and when he's asked the tough questions. And it's what you expect from him as this Liverpool manager. And it's the same from um, Pep Guardiola today. I think he's been a bit stronger, but he's had a bit more time to think about it. And it's clear that something needs to change in football because it is not just a problem in the big six being greedy. It's widespread at how there's the most money at the top and how the rest of the teams are being left behind. It's just greedy in all, all the ways. There's not the communication there. Guardiola said it himself, hitting out the Premier League, hitting out UEFA. And we think we've always been critical of, say, the TV deals that Sky and BT uh, agree. It's just 
but they're all now in this position where something needs to change. Like the only people getting anything out of this deal is the big six, but not the players, not the management. And Jurgen Klopp, Jordan Henderson, and James Milner—they've all made that very clear. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Jurgen Klopp, Kais was, was sort of asked about the the banners being taken down at Anfield, and what did he think about that? He said he wanted people to to keep them there because that was about the team, and the team is very separate to the ownership where this decision has been made. I mean. I would argue that it's a good thing to remove them. Obviously, that's the only real way without fans being in the ground that fans can make a, a point and a statement to FSG about what they feel. Which way would you sort of go on that? Can you see where Jurgen Klopp's coming from on that? I can, in in the sense that when it comes down to it, there's the fans aren't in the ground, the owners aren't in the ground. So if, if the banners being there and if Klopp thinks the banners being there help his team and the players have a better chance of winning the game then of course you know he would want the banners to be there and at least there's something or some acknowledgement that the fans are kind of with you even if they can't actually be there physically but um it, it was put to him in the press conference last night james pierce from the athletic obviously once the liverpool echo um said look i think you you have to understand that this is about all liverpool fans can do at the moment i mean can, can you imagine the scenes if Fans had been at a full house at Ellen Road last night. We saw the protests already without even fans inside the ground. And yes, Jurgen Klopp was was saying, and I do empathise with him, that when they were on the bus to, to the game and when they were going on their walk on the morning of the match, that they were getting abuse and, and things shouted at them. And completely agree with him that it's it's not them, that they are not the targets. I think it's people taking out their frustration on the players on Jurgen Klopp because they're the only they're the only people they have access to. They can't get to the owners. They're you know thousands of miles away in another country and they're not allowed into the grounds at the moment. So they can't do a walkout, which you know would certainly be on the agenda. They can't do a march. They can't boycott games. There's nothing they can do other than remove the banners that they've got in the grounds to make their their lack of presence known even more. So. I, I understand where Jürgen Klopp's coming from, but I think um, he's got to understand, and I think he probably, I'm sure he does understand, that they are not the target. It's just um, the only way Liverpool fans have got at the moment of venting their frustration. It's one with the banners as well. So if they're actually helping the players, they've not done a very good job this year, have they? They've only won <laughs> once at Anfield in 2021. Um, it doesn't make any difference to the players, I wouldn't think, or it shouldn't do anyway. Like If you're in a, a ground with fans, you can hear the fans, that can spur you on. But when it's been empty, you're not thinking, oh, I'm knackered here. Oh, I like that banner. That's going to give me the extra energy to find a last-minute winner. It's not as though Trent Alexander-Arnold against Aston Villa. He's pointed to the banner and run off the camera and gone, that's for you. It's just not made any difference. It was a strange comment from Jurgen Klopp. I can understand why they want the support from the fans and they need that togetherness because it is a tough time being a Liverpool player, being Liverpool manager at this present moment, even before the Super League stuff. But... Liverpool fans can show their support in other ways and they can show their passion in other ways. And that is what they are doing by removing the banners and speaking out against the European Super League. Both Klopp and James Milner, Theo, were slightly critical of, of the Leeds fans at the ground, sort of directing their abuse at, at the team bus and, and things like that. But that's just something they're going to have to get used to, isn't it? It's sort of similar to Liverpool fans removing banners to show FSG. This is the only visible sort of symbol of Liverpool Football Club that is out there for this to be directed at. And as much as Klopp might not like it, 
I'm sure even he would agree that we'd rather see the abuse directed at Liverpool players for this decision rather than not at anybody at all. Yeah, like there's going to be so many opposing fans that want to make their voices heard because they're basically being told your club is not important. Your club does not matter. It doesn't matter what you do on the pitch. If you're West Ham, Leicester, you can finish third, you can finish fourth. We don't care. You're not allowed to play with us. We're taking our ball. We're going to this other pitch. We're taking all the money and we're enjoying the game. And you think, well, that's pretty disgusting. It's like, no wonder these fans want to voice their opinions. Like it was pointed out on commentary last night, you've got Tottenham there. Well, Leeds have won the league more recently than them. If it wasn't for financial ruin, Leeds could very easily be in the big six at the expense of one of these teams. But Leeds fans are some of the most passionate around. And now with lockdown over and them allowed to be out, of course they're going to want to make their voices heard. And it's not a case of writing angry banners and getting people to put them up in Ellen Road. The cameras aren't going to focus on them apart from a couple of seconds. It's the powerful images of chanting at the players, chanting at the coach, uh, burning shirts and all that. Now, we're not saying this is the right thing to do because they are targeting the wrong people, but it's got attention. Same as the plane flying over the stadium has got attention. They've got the media coverage and it is the loudest way for them to get their voices heard and to have these pictures sent back to America and all these overseas owners. Like if a, a European or American owner, I should say, watches Liverpool Leeds and sees the Leeds banners saying, uh, and the T-shirts saying, Champions League's for all, you've got to earn it, blah, blah, blah. Do they care? No, they don't. But if you see them protesting like they were, burning shirts, shouting, chanting and all this, it's a more of a, a appeal against this, isn't it? It looks a much stronger image. Um, you'd imagine we might see something similar tonight. I think is it Chelsea you play tonight. Then you've got United City later in the week. You've got the uh, League Cup final at the weekend. Or what's going to be planned for that? It's the first time I think we're going to have two of these big six teams facing each other. Liverpool United later in the season. You've got quite a few of the big teams facing off against each other. Or you've got West Ham and Leicester, who are the two teams at the moment who are going to miss out most facing off against these big six. These teams, these fans, they're going to want to have their voices heard. They're the ones that are being punished, for want of a better word. And I'm all for them going out and having these protests as long as it's done safely. You've got to remember that we're still social distance and all that. But it's the only way that they can have their voices heard. And while it might not make as much of an impact as whatever Jordan Henderson's cooking up in this Premier League captain's meeting, it's all they can do. Yeah, absolutely. The uh, cup final next weekend, there will actually be fans inside the ground for that. So it'll be very, very interesting to see. Obviously not a, a full Wembley Stadium, but I think 2,000 fans from each of the two clubs involved. It'll be interesting to see if there's any sort of boycott or, or protests in and around that. So uh, we're nearly coming towards the end of the podcast. There's a couple more bits that I just wanted to, to quickly go over, Kai. Some comments from Jurgen Klopp in terms of FSG and the owners. He said, there will be a moment when our owners say what they have to say, I'm sure. That simply has to be at some point soon, doesn't it? It's got to be this week that either John W. Henry or someone within FSG comes out and actually puts their name to these proposals. Absolutely. I think Jurgen Klopp has, has been put in a, a horrible position, as have all the managers of these these clubs that are you know looking to break away. Um, it's it's not Jurgen Klopp. He he said in his press conference, it's, it's nothing to do with me. It's nothing to do with the team. We are employees. The owners made the decision. So I think you know he, he's made his position position perfectly clear. And 
they have to be the ones, whether it's Mike Gordon or Tom Werner or John Henry, whoever it is, um, you know, a representative of of FSG should should surely have have to do a, an interview, whether it's through LFC TV, you know, an in-house thing that they control or whatever format it is, they have to do something and, and be seen to, you know, at least at the, the very minimum, explain their decision behind it and, and why they think it's it's best for, for Liverpool Football Club. I mean, we all know why. It's just money and, and greed and, you know, that's all been covered and, and you know, we, we don't really need to go into that. But the, the decent thing that they could, they could do as, as a minimum, not only to, to Liverpool fans, but to clock the, the value that he's brought to Liverpool and it's, the club's probably now worth over a billion pounds considering they only paid over 300 million for it. So everything that he has done for this club and, and the fans as well is, is the least that they owe to, to everyone to just explain why they made the decision. Yeah, probably closer to, to six or seven times what they paid for it, I think, in terms of, of the value at this moment right. in time. It's a good point. I think just to, to finish off, Theo, I think the, the, the last point really is that Jurgen Klopp was asked, you know, he, he said he'd read and, and he'd heard that he might quit, he might resign over this. But he said in tough times, that makes him even more sticky to say to stay at the club and, and fight back. But in terms of a fight back, that essentially means that they have to find some way of, of stopping this, which is probably easier said than done for for Jurgen Klopp, as we said before, he's in a, a difficult position. Yeah, he is, but he's not alone. He's got the rest of the managers who are going to be against it. Like Pep Guardiola today just said, has backed him up completely and said the exact same message. Premier League captains are obviously going to do the same thing and voice their displeasure at this and see what they can do. Like something needs to change. And if it is just a power play from the big six and the other founding members to get more money to get control over the Champions League. It's pretty disgusting, isn't it? But the box has been open now. It's like, who can actually back down? Like, if the governing bodies back down, then you're alienating the rest of the teams. If the clubs back down, they've broken the trust and the relationships they've built. And while they might come back tail between their legs to the Premier League, to the Champions League, you're just wondering, when are they going to make the next move to get away, to get control? that is in turmoil at the moment and you've just got to look at the positives and they are the facts that while the people in charge of the clubs feel this way the people that represent the clubs do not and that is Jurgen Klopp and that is Liverpool players like Liverpool its history is filled of these underdog stories like Bill Shankly taking them from the second division to winning the league titles FA Cups Bob Paisley winning European Cup after European Cup uh, you think Istanbul, 3-0 down at half-time. How um, Klopp's turned Liverpool around now. And you think of these teams that are the founding members, apart from Atletico Madrid, Liverpool have had memorable European nights against all of them in the Champions League era. Granted, United was in the Europa League, but they've all had these amazing moments. And this is why FSG own Liverpool in the first case, because they've got this history, because there's such competition, because they've got the passion from the fans, because they've got Jurgen Klopp and all this together, it's what makes Liverpool Football Club special. And you can't use all this to sell the club, to promote the club, if you're then just going to basically spit it on it in its face and make as much money from it as you can um, off the back of it. Like we know how Jurgen Klopp feels. We know how Jordan Henderson, how James Milner feel, and that is no surprise to us. These are people that we can relate to. And the only surprise is that John Henry and the rest of FSG who've seemingly bought into Liverpool and been respectable owners have 
decided to take this stance when they knew the backlash it would be. Uh, it would get backed down a couple of times before when the fans have been able to voice their displeasure at it. Whether they can do so again remains to be seen. But this is an instance where football could be broken by this and you need Klopp to stand up. You need Henderson to stand up. You need everyone, all the managers, all the players to have their say, to basically make their stand with their feet. And the fact that they are having these initial talks, having these initial meetings, you'd like to think that they can put the pressure on and make a difference. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. I think it's an irreparable relationship breakdown between FSG and, and Liverpool and, and Liverpool fans myself. But only time will tell as to what will happen. There's plenty more, I'm sure, to come over the next few days, few weeks, maybe even the next few months and years as well. But we will be back with the next Blood Red podcast on Friday as we preview the visit to Anfield of Newcastle United. I'm sure we'll take a look at the latest regarding the European Super League as well, as I say. Plenty more to come on that throughout the week. We've loads of content as well to come. I've already spoken to football finance expert Kieran Maguire today. That podcast will be out tomorrow. Some really interesting numbers and statistics financially behind what this European Super League might mean. An explanation as to why FSG might have gone down that route. We'll have Analyzing Anfield, the Liverpool.com podcast and everything else as well as we normally do throughout this week. For now, though, from myself, Matt Addison, from Theo Squires and from Kai Delaney. Until next time here on the Blood Red channel. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. And goodbye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo.